Can I have foreign clients as an RIA? Is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series it is episode number 70. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. Uh, if you are not already there, if you head to transition to RIA.com, you can find all of the resources I make available from uh, this entire series in video format, uh, podcast format. I have articles, I have white papers. Uh, and again, if you are a podcast person, you can also go straight to any major podcasting platform and search for the Transition to RIA podcast, uh, where you'll find all of the episodes you can listen along to. Again, transition to RIA.com. Okay, on today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about a question um, I don't get asked a lot, but it does come along and it actually harks back to some of my early, early days in the industry where I briefly held a few uh, roles in compliance. And some of that was actually in the AML area, the anti-money laundering area. And so that is what deals with whether or not you can have foreign clients uh, as an advisor, in this case, as an RIA. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is if you were to become an RIA, can you can you service foreign clients? And then maybe that's uh, a situation where you, you have foreign clients now and you're in maybe at a wirehouse or some sort of broker deal arrangement and you want to transition into the RA model or you're you're thinking hey if I move into the RA model is that something I could I could start to do which maybe you maybe you can't do now. So again we're going to talk about can you have foreign clients as an RIA. Uh, so the, the first thing I just want to talk about is just kind of defining what it, what that even means of foreign clients and in, in Kind of three examples of this kind of in arguably an increase in risk of what might constitute a foreign client. So the, the first one is often referred to as expatriates or expats. Uh, those are uh, generally U.S. citizens or if it would be those of us in the United States using that term, it would be U.S. citizens. Uh, that for whatever the circumstances are, live in another country. Uh, and, and I'll give you some examples of what that might be. But, but they are U.S. citizens. They have U.S. documentation. It just so happens to be that they, they live in another country. So those often referred to as expats be considered a foreign client in the sense that they, they do not have an address here in the United States. But again, they are U.S. citizens, probably lowest on the scale of risk. But we're going to get into what, what may or may not be acceptable here uh, in just a few moments. Uh, so kind of next on that list is foreign clients, so non-U.S. citizens, so people from other countries that live in the United States. So whatever the circumstances are that they, they are now here in the United States, uh, could that be constituted a foreign client in the essence that they are not U.S. citizens? They are from another country. They, they maybe have to produce uh, foreign documentation to prove their identity, but they live here in the United States arguably more risky than that first category, uh, but but still not your run-of-the-mill situation. Uh, and then the kind of third definition we might use uh, are, are non-U.S. citizens. So there's some folks from a different country that reside in that country or reside out of the United States. So arguably don't really have anything to do with the United States. They're not U.S. citizens. They don't live here. In this case, they might want to do business with you and you are located in the United States. So arguably those are foreign clients. And so you've you might say, well, where does this even come along? Do advisors really have these kind of clients? 
Um, and two, two kind of just extreme examples I've come across over my career, and these are niche practices, so you don't typically see this sort of thing, but just so you know that it exists out there. Uh, uh, two examples. So the, the, the first one, there has a uh, there is a practice out there. He's still operating. And that his whole kind of niche is those expats. Those, again, those U.S. citizens that are working abroad and specifically uh, the teachers. So people that are going and teaching, uh, you know, perhaps English uh, in another country. And so their U.S. citizens say, hey, I'm going to go live full time, reside abroad in some other country. I'm going to teach English in their local schools. And so this advisor has actually built an entire niche around those individuals and then by extension, some of these schools that these teachers work at that have foundations or endowments or whatever the case is, he's, he's, he also services those schools as well. Uh, and that's his entire business business model. I mean, maybe he has a few kind of more, quote unquote, traditional clients here in the United States, but his entire business is based around that niche. The only one that I know of that does that. And so he's kind of carved out his, his little place, but that does come with challenges as well. Even though he's an expert on it, even though he's carved down a niche on it, uh, there are some challenges, which we're going to talk about here in just in a moment. Uh, but then the other example I would give you uh, is a practice that was uh, entirely focused on uh, government members of the United Nations. So these are uh, government folks from other countries uh, that are that are kind of their uh, ambassadors, if you will, or their representatives at the United Nations. So as you can imagine, this practice is in New York City. Uh, and their whole clientele is is these various diplomats from all these different countries. And you could think, okay, well, wow, that's maybe less risky because these are all government officials. So there must be some legitimacy to these folks and there are their UN representatives. Uh, but the reality is those same folks uh, can be also deemed to be very high risk because as the, the term goes, they are politically exposed people, meaning are their influences uh, guiding where they are getting their money? Are they, uh, they're, in worst case scenario, they're potentially being bribed. And so the money that they do have is illegitimate. Um, of course, that's I'm not painting a brush and saying, oh, anyone from another country or anyone from a, a UN setup is even remotely close to, to checking that box. But the reality is that does happen to a degree. So there is that kind of risk as well. So again, this practice is very niche, very defined, but even they have I know I've had some challenges over the years to be able to service that kind of clientele. So th those are kind of two extreme examples, but you, you might have a circumstance where you're just a, you maybe not carving out a whole niche for it, but you do come across uh, a client that, that fits one of those definitions that I talked about that maybe you want to open an account for, or maybe you do want to niche down a little and maybe open more than just one and maybe build, build kind of a client base with it. So the question is, can you do that as an RIA? Um, so, so first we can look at what a lot of you, if you're, you're currently in a wirehouse world or independent broker dealer world, you know, would think your first thought would be, oh, can I get that approved? And the, the reality is that's in, in large part, the broker dealer having to approve it in part because a broker dealer has to formally supervise their registered representatives, which you would be one of. And so you go to them and say, can I open this account? or this client that's in Argentina or whatever the case may be. And they may or may not approve it. Uh, and the, the, the reality is, and you'll see this theme here of the balance of my comments, is there there is a lot of risk with uh, uh, opening accounts for foreign clients. There's a lot of risk uh, primarily for the firm uh, because there's a lot of very specific rules, AML, anti-money laundering rules, about what firms are responsible for monitoring and taking care of 
And, and there have been a lot of large fines over the past decade or so, hundreds of millions of dollars that regulators have assessed onto firms to say, hey, you did not follow these AML rules uh, as, as well as you should. You did not identify these, these bad actor clients that came along. You did not identify that they had, they had illicit money that they were depositing in your account. And so uh, there is a lot of risk involved with it. And, and so the question is, does a broker dealer want to approve when you come along and say, I have one client from Argentina I've never dealt with this before, so can I open the account? It, it will more than likely be that broker dealer will say no. We're not going to we're not going to allow that. Um, now, however, if you're in the RIA world and you are not attached to a broker dealer, now quick sidebar: any any of you that have uh, listened to many of my episodes uh, would know that as an RIA, you absolutely can uh, continue to service commission business if you have a need to do so in a a so-called kind of hybrid arrangement. I've done all kinds of episodes on that. You can learn more about that. So it, it's not to say that in the RAA world, you might not still be attached to some sort of broker deal in some capacity, but let's say you are 100% fee only and you, you don't have any broker dealer uh, affiliation at all. Well, if there's no broker dealer, then there's no broker dealer you have to go to for approval on that sort of thing. However, if you want to open an account, there's still kind of two approvals that have to happen. This is as an RIA. One, does your RIA, is your RIA comfortable with this? And, and, and if you own your own RIA, you can make that determination yourself, but know that you do have responsibilities. Uh, and so are you comfortable with that? But but let's say you are and say, okay, I, I, I do feel comfortable with this client. Uh, well, if you want to open an account, you still need the custodian themselves to agree to open the account for that client. And while a custodian of an RIA has no formal, quote unquote, compliance responsibility for your RIA, because they do not, it is your responsibility as the RIA to manage your own compliance. I've done a lot of episodes on how that process works. The custodian has no responsibility for that. However, the custodian does still have AML responsibility. So because that account is being opened on their platform. They are holding assets. They do have AML responsibilities. As to how you invest those assets, again, that's not the custodian's responsibility. That's your responsibility as the RIA. But to have that account open, to have assets in that account, the custodian does have that AML responsibility still. And so among other things, the two kind of things you, you'll often hear in the AML world that you would have to for sure be familiar with and for sure be able to make your custodian comfortable with are two things. One, you know your client. So we'll go back to that example of, oh, you want to open an account for someone in Argentina. There's obviously a big difference if the story is, yes, someone from Argentina called me up. I've never spoken to them before. They said they would like to open an account here in the US and it might have a legitimate sound and reason. It might be very legitimate of, hey, maybe they want to move some of their assets out of their home country for maybe some more stability, or they just feel the U.S. is a better place to invest. Uh, so there could be some legitimate scenarios there, but that is vastly different. Again, this random person Argentina calls you up is vastly different than perhaps if if the real or the situation is, oh, yes, this was my old college roommate. I've known him or her for 20 years uh, and they are actually now an expat living in Argentina because of X, Y, and Z. And so I've known them for a very long time and they've just chosen to now live in Argentina. Maybe they have married someone from Argentina and they decided to move there and raise a family or other cases. So that's that's a very different know your client scenario. 
Um, but then you, the other variable that for sure has to be uh, understood is, is the source of funds. So again, that random person from Argentina calling you up that says, oh, I have I have a million dollars that I would like to, again, I think it's maybe the United States is a safer place to put put my assets, whatever this, whatever the explanation is. Well, you don't know that person, so you don't know where they got the million dollars. Now, you, you would arguably ask perhaps, hey, essentially, what is your source of wealth? You'd, you'd probably say it more eloquently than that, but that's what you're getting at. And, and whatever answer they give you, the problem is, even if it sounds legit, even if it sounds reasonable, how, how would you know? You don't know this person. You're uh, likely not familiar with the local Argentina economy to know if this is reasonable or not. Again, very different from if that scenario was the the college roommate that's moving down there and you know is a fact that that they they work in whatever sector and they've been doing this line of work forever and that that kind of person roughly makes a hundred thousand a year so this is a reasonable amount of money for someone of their age to have. Uh, again, if you can piece it together uh, to identify source of funds, that is going to be very important as well. So at a minimum, any custodian would absolutely have to get comfortable with. To know your client, how do you know this person? And then second, what is the source of funds? And are we comfortable with both of those? Now, even if you get past that, the question is, realistically, will you be able to do this? So I, I've talked about, yes, there are firms that do it. I've talked about some of the bare minimum hurdles that have to be overcome to do it. But, but realistically, if you go to your custodian, are they going to let you do this? And and for some custodians, it's it's pretty much a hard stop. They say, we're not in that line of work. It's not going to work for us um, not, without much flexibility. And, and, and part of that is always keep in mind uh, the custodian game. Uh, and I did a whole episode, uh, as you might have recalled, on, on how a custodian generates revenue. But a custodian, uh, the, the business of being a custodian is a very low margin business that they make up for in, in massive scale, but it does have low margins. And so the problem is if you take on what are arguably higher risk clients, that there's going to be higher risk to the custodian to make sure they are doing their AML responsibilities, that they are not getting these massive regulatory fines. It has to be worth it to them. And, and, and oftentimes they will just say, okay, the amount of risk for the amount of margin we will make on that client relationship is just, it's not worth it to us. So I have seen some custodians that kind of, for the most part, do a blanket, no answer on, hey, can, can I have foreign clients? Whether it's one or that entire niche practice, some are just, they just say, hey, that's not the that's that's not where we have expertise. That's not where we where we are willing to invest the resources to be able to do it properly. And so the answer is no. Uh, however, there are some specialty firms, if we want to call them that, that that have shown a willingness to accommodate foreign clients. And, and so that I've even seen kind of a Kind of an, uh, a go-between between a custodian and it's kind of a almost an introducing custodian, if you will, with the underlying custodian says, hey, we do not have the resources to make sure that we are sufficiently verifying a client and getting comfortable with source of funds and, all, and following all the rules. So, hey, advisor, if you work with this kind of introducing custodian, for lack of a better term, and, and then ultimately the assets are held by us. They have the expertise. They've dedicated the resources because this is the business they're in. Uh, that that we're comfortable as long as you kind of work through them because if they've approved it, we we've kind of reached a a level of comfort with 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 the, what their processes are. So uh, that exists. And then for those of you that might consider, as opposed to starting your own RA, might consider joining an existing RA. Again, did an episode on that as well. 
Uh, there are, it's not many, but there are some firms out there that have invested the resources needed to accommodate advisors that have foreign clients. And they say, hey, yes, we can accommodate that. We have identified custodians that will work with us on that. The custodian's comfortable with what our process is. So, so that exists as well, that there's not that many of them, but there are some, again, because there is significant resources that have to put into it. So likewise, they need to have significant business in that. They, they can't just have three accounts and expect to hire a dozen people to monitor these sorts of things. So it's kind of an all-in approach that, that some of these firms have done. They've embraced it and they said, hey, we are essentially open for business. That doesn't mean we will take every foreign client you might come across, but we have processes to, to attempt to accommodate it where we can. So know that there are some solutions out there uh, if that is possibly going to be a meaningful part of your business. Uh, and then the, the main takeaway, the main way to wrap all this up, and it's an expression I use in a, in a, uh, often, is there, there has to be enough meat on the bone. So whether you want to try to go directly to whatever one of your custodians are, maybe you have more than one, uh, or maybe you want to work with these kind of introducing uh, custodian, or you want to maybe work with one of these RIAs, whatever the case is, the chances, if, 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 well, a couple of things. One, what is your overall size? So everyone has to start somewhere. So the amount of business you could bring one of these solution providers, if you have 30 million in assets, is significantly different than if you have 800 million in assets. And so the challenge is if, if you have 30 million in assets and you want to do business with one of these providers and you want to open one account, and so there's additional risk, well, they, they would look at the overall relationship and say, well, we're, all, we're not going to make that much money off of your 30 million to begin with. So it's it's probably not worth our risk trying to accommodate you and your desire to have foreign clients. However, if you have 800 million, just to use an example, well, there's enough meat on the bone for these solution providers to say, okay, hey, there's enough business here in general. There's enough revenue we will generate that it makes sense for us to take on this additional layer of risk. Even though we have all these great resources, there's always an additional layer of risk. And so it makes sense for us to do it. So just your overall size could dictate whether you will have uh, any success in being able to explore this. And, and kind of related to that, if if uh, I don't want to throw cold water on someone's you know potential idea, but if you're brand new to the industry and you're starting up and you and you say, hey, I got to have a niche uh, of what kind of firm I'm going to have, and 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 somehow that that niche is going to be something to do with foreign clients. I, just, I I I don't want to you know crush crush your dreams or anything like that, but that that will likely be very difficult for the reasons I just stated. Is when you're a very small and you need solution providers to work with on this, and 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 maybe you will one day be that eight hundred million dollar RA, but right now you are not, and it will be hard to get people to to work with you and take on the risk of of foreign clients if if you're not able to bring a lot of business to them all at once. Uh, so just overall size is kind of the meat on the bone. And, and then the other thing is, even if you are uh, a large RIA, and let's say you're 500 million or 100 million or a billion, whatever, some some meaningful, you know, reasonable number, uh, I, I would still encourage you, if you if you want to dabble in the foreign clients, you, you need to either do it or, or don't do it. So it, it's not worth your trouble, in my opinion, if you have a, a $500 million practice and you have you know traditional clients and, and whatever the case is, and you want to add that one client, that one account from Argentina, it's it's just likely not going to be worth the extra headache for you, the extra risk for you, possibly battling with your custodian over it, possibly them coming back at some future day and say, we're no longer comfortable with this. 
for one client. So again, meat on the bone. If, if you think this is a, a niche you can pursue, and again, there are practices, I, I, I spoke at the top, that are entirely in this niche. Uh, and then there are practices that it's a meaningful part of their practice. And again, that's why you have these kind of specialty solution providers that will work with you. But again, you got to have enough meat on the bone. So if it's just that one account, unless that happens to be a very large account and you have a very good story for how you got the client and what the source of funds is, other than that, it's just not going to be worth the headaches for you. Again, you got to have enough meat on the bone to, to, to try to get any of these solution providers that you will need to work with on this to go along with it. So uh, I hope you found that helpful again, just from that kind of generic term of foreign clients. Again, there's different different versions of what that is. Uh, you will have different challenges if you want to dabble in having foreign clients. Um, but again, under the right circumstances, there are solution providers that may be able to support it. I don't want to make a blanket statement and say they will because every situation is different. So there's uh, depends on if your, your clients are in a quote unquote high risk country versus a low risk country. So there's all kinds of variables that have to go into that. But if it's something that you have a lot of and you are reasonable size and you're not currently in the RA model, the short answer to this, this long answer is it's possible there might be a pathway for you in the RA model to be able to accommodate that. Uh, but just as the circumstances are for you now, it's not an e super easy glide path. There's, there's hurdles that you do have to jump over. Uh, so with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales, and this is, well, this question doesn't come up all too often. It, it does come up. I do get asked it from time to time. And, and this is the sort of questions I, I, I help advisors with of, hey, can I do this in the RA model? How would this work in the RA model? Could I transition my existing practice into the RA model? Uh, happy to have that conversation with you as well. Again, if you head to transition to RIA.com, then you can find all the resources, the videos, the podcasts, the articles, the white papers. Uh, but then the easiest thing to do is at the top of every page is a contact link. Just click on that and you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, whether you want to talk about today's topic or anything else RIA related, I am happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.